Good morning. Welcome to Kesset. How are you? Good. I'm excited you're here. My name is Danny. This is Jan. She's going to be interpreting for me today. Can we just appreciate our deaf family that's, uh, that's all here with us today, those online? And um, I'm excited you're here. If you are brand new, welcome. Kesset uh, is a place for people who are spiritually curious or just outright mad at God. We'll take that too. Um, we are a place for people who don't even know if there is a God and for people who consider this very real God their very best friend. And we're okay with the tension that that brings in the room. And so I just want to honor wherever you're coming from and whatever you're dealing with. I especially in this service, this hit me during worship, so sorry if uh, uh, I'm off script a little bit. Especially in this service for people uh, who have just been beat up by church who have been beat up by church people and church culture and church stuff and frankly have like, you know, about that much left to tolerate and today you showed up and I just want you to know I'm with you. I'm with you and I'm part of this thing, right? That's the, that's the awkwardness is I'm part of it and I also have experienced that and feel that and I guess I just, I just want to honor that, um, that emotion in the room and uh, I also believe in the church and what God wants to do with it, but I think it has to start with us being honest and authentic about how it's really not been very helpful for a long time. We built these big symbols on stage, just in case you would, uh, in case you missed them. Um, uh, we built a big symbol for what's not helpful and what is helpful. And um, that I think is just this idea to really overstate that I think scripture is very clear about how we are to behave, but I believe often we've warped it to uh, mean something different and not become very helpful at all. Uh, today is the last talk in this series. So uh, I, again, if you haven't been here for a while or this is your first time, you're probably wondering what's going on. Uh, the whole series has been this idea that, that we're called to be helpful people and that when we just spout off our Christian cliches, we basically end up just looking like white noise or static that people don't really hear a picture of Jesus or a picture of love. They hear judgment, they hear uh, condemning, they hear self-righteousness, and they hear prejudice and all those things that uh, all-encompassing uh, damage people that are searching for answers. We talk a lot in this church about spiritual posture, about what it means to, uh, to approach a subject or a person or even God. And we started off this series talking about a few different spiritual postures that weren't helpful. The first one was how most of us uh, who grew up in dysfunctional churches uh, were never really trained how to be helpful. That uh, we just assumed that because we grew up in church that we were going to absorb all of the stuff we were supposed to to be a healthy human being. And that would be like getting a gym membership with a little card and your picture on it. And then you go to the gym and you walk around and no one shows you how to work out. And then you go home and people are like, do you consider yourself healthy? And you're like, yeah, I have a gym membership. <laughs> that's a lot what happens at church. We show up and we take our communion and we raise our hands and worship, but we don't actually do any of the work. And then people are like, you, don't, you, you claim to be healthy, but you act and live like everybody else. The second week of the series, we talked about how being unwilling to hold another person's vulnerability is unhelpful. How as, as a community, as Christ followers, our biggest job is to sit in the room and just hold the vulnerability of another. And too often we as Christians can't sit with people as they share or unload their burdens. We want to fix them. And so we start to offer these cliches like God will never give you more than anything you can handle. It's garbage theology. It's not true. God, all kinds of people in the Bible had more than they can handle. And that's actually when they turn to God. And he shows up in the situation, but we offer these silly things because we don't know what else to say. 
when probably sometimes the most powerful thing we can do is just sit in the room and hold someone's vulnerability. Just be there. Shut your mouth. Open your ears and be there with people. And that in and of itself is most of the time enough. A few weeks ago then, third week, we talked about how being unwilling to bring a touchable, contextualized Christ into your sphere of influence is not helpful. Stop trying to bring your mom and dad's Jesus to every family barbecue you go to. Now, I'm not saying your mom and dad Jesus wasn't, you know, the right Jesus, but uh, most likely he was very white, first off. Let's just put that out there because that was everybody's Jesus from the 60s and 70s. He wasn't white, by the way. Those of you who didn't know, go home, look it up. But stop bringing everything that you thought Jesus was supposed to be to every situation because you are supposed to be authentic about how he's impacting your life and therefore you can sit in a room with other people about how he should be impacting their lives and your life and their life are not the same thing. So be willing to sit with people, hold their vulnerability and talk about Jesus, how he wants to show up in that room. We also talked about how sharing the fourth week this was, a, this was a profound week for me. How sharing that everything that comes to your, ma- to your mind, uh, everything that comes to your mind out loud is not helpful. How basically when you think a thought and share it, that that's not helpful. And I promise you, I had 20 people go, wow, that was, that was just a profound service. Like, I don't, I can think something and then not say it. And I was like, uh-huh. And they were like, I mean, like, seriously, this church is so in touch with, like, what's going on in my heart. And I'm just like, this, yes, don't say everything that comes to your mind. Okay, it's not, it's not helpful, and most people don't want to hear what you have to say anyways. And that includes me. Okay, that, that, that wait, let me rephrase that just a little bit. <laughs> Was this the sign for backpedal? Is that what you just did, Jan? I saw that. I saw you just put backpedal. <laughs> uh, I love to hear what you say. I love it, but I don't know that it's always helpful. <laughs> backpedal, backpedal. Okay, I got it. I got it. Um, last week, uh, Jen shared you don't have to share your highlight reel with people. As a matter of fact, most of the time, it's your low light reel that impacts most change. Stop telling people about all the amazing things God did for you. I think pastors are the worst at this. They always talk about problems they used to have and never about problems they actually have. Now, back in college, I really used to struggle with this. Of course, now I've overcome it. And people in the room that struggle with it are like, well, I feel dirty. I think we need to start sharing with people our current problems, our current struggles, our current situations. And we need to be authentic that we, like everybody else, and I'm talking about the authority that you have as church members, as not just members of this church, but as a part of the body, It's okay to have problems. It's okay to be honest about them. It's okay to hold that vulnerability. It's okay to not share everything that comes to your mind. It's okay to contextualize your beliefs. It is okay to be part of this world and not of this world. I think it says that somewhere in here. It's okay. Take a breath, chill out, and love people. It's okay. Jesus isn't tripping out anywhere. He's not like, When? When are they going to do as I say? He doesn't operate that way, but he is willing to use you if you're willing to give this whole thing another shot. So for those who have been damaged and part of it, um, there's something in that for you and for the people in your life to see the love of Jesus. But I would just love you to ponder this week, next week, 
How is God going to use that beautiful story to bring glory to him and wholeness to you? So, in closing of the series, this week we are going to bring with as much clarity as possible what spiritual posture I think is most helpful. So instead of talking for the last four or five weeks about what's not helpful, we're going to talk this week about what is helpful. This also means that today's talk, you may have picked up on this, is primarily for those already walking with Christ. Even if your Christ is a long ways away, he's just a little dude on a hill, and you're real close to just passing over the horizon and leaving him there, or if he is your very best friend, that's really who I'm kind of coming after today. That doesn't mean if you are just spiritually curious, or uh, you're even someone who just doesn't believe in any of this mess, uh, that there's not something in this conversation for you. I've been told every service so far from people who, who don't believe. We have a whole crowd of people who show up here who don't believe in what we're doing. It's profound. It's something about the tension they like and the authenticity, I'm told, but um, it's just beautiful. But I do want to be clear who I'm, who I'm coming after. I think it sets a better context. So this is what I want to say. When it comes to walking alongside and so ministering to the world, I believe there is one overarching, helpful spiritual posture, if well-mastered, that could change every Christ follower from an often unhelpful person to an almost always helpful symbol of Jesus. And that is, I'll put it on the screen, the spiritual posture of love, also known as the ability to read the room. The Bible has all kinds of things to say about love. John 13, 35 says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't that profound that it's all people? It's your neighbors, it's people in other countries, it's people with entirely different worldviews than you, it's people who hate you, all people, not some people, not the important people, not the chosen people. All people will know that you are part of the movement of God if you have love not just in your heart bundled up for him that spills out during worship, not just love as you journal at home, not just love in your prayer closet, not just love doing anything, but loving one another. It's profound, it should, it should shock you that you will be known not by going to church, but by how you love people in your everyday life. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 backs that up when it says, let all that you do be done in love. All of it. That means when you critique, you do it in love. When you hold somebody's vulnerability, you do it in love. That means when you walk away, you do it in love. When you stand up, when you sit down, when you judge, when you help out, everything is done in the context of love. It's not done in the context of moving your agenda forward. It's not done in the context of growing a bigger church community. It's not done in the context of even helping the needy. It's all things that you do are done in love. It's going to get a, a dessert with your daughter. It's, it's hanging out with someone you just don't connect with. It's going to work with people that you enjoy and people that you don't so much. It's all done in love. Over and over and over we are called, prompted, and reminded to love the world like Jesus loved them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We are called to love like this. Jesus loves this world and he loves you. But somewhere along the way, this thing became about attendance and performance and presentation. 
and it became less and less about love. It doesn't really get much simpler than these clear directions, and yet for so many, I must confess, it's difficult to do. I think partly it's because we've wrapped love into other things that then give us permission to disengage from people who are messy or muddy. We've turned it into approval. Well, I can't love that person. He'll think that I approve of his lifestyle. That's not love. We've turned it into acceptance. Well, I can't love her because then she's going to think I accept her as she is. And there's clearly things broken in her story. That's not love. It turned into participating. Well, I can't love them because then it means I have to participate in what it is they're doing. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You can love people without approving, without accepting, and without participating. And here's the last one, the one that I find the most offensive. Again, I told you who I'm talking about. This is the one that bothers me the most. We have turned love into something that is hyper-spiritual. Like you have to be anointed to love. Like you need a group of people to surround you, to prepare you, to love the world and the people around them. Because you just, you just need that extra charismatic calling in your life in order to do the basic thing God has called you to do, which is love. That is not true. To love people is to be a Christ follower. To love people isn't something hyper-spiritual. I don't know why we do this. I, I don't understand all the ways that we have trained ourselves to act like loving people requires from some sign from God. Like we need a who, what, when, where, and why we should try and love the hard-to-be-around people in our lives. And that's why every time we come across anybody who colors outside the lines of my worldview, suddenly I need the Holy Spirit to guide me on how and whether I should love them. I'm like, bro, that's your whole job. Like that's the whole thing But it's so hard to do It is We're going to talk about in just a moment why that is But first we're going to settle in On this idea that Christians need to stop looking crazy And just love people Stop waiting for signs. I was sharing about this with somebody who described it back to me in a video that I hadn't seen. They sent it to me, so I want to show it to you. This is my personal opinion on how the church approaches the subject of loving people outside its own club, outside its own walls. Watch. Rebecca, if there's anything wrong with my feelings for Dolores, just give me a sign. No! on the lookout for it. Meanwhile, I'll just put you in the closet. This is the church. This is the church for the whole world to see. We're like, God, who is it that you want us to love? And he's like, everybody. We're like, just let me know who it is, God. In the meantime, I'm going to put you in the closet. And the world looks at us and they're like, aren't you the love people? Why do I feel most judged when I come to your house for dinner or come to where you gather? Why do I feel most excluded when I'm around you, the people who somehow have decided to spiritually trademark love? This is just what it is. This is the scenario that we live in. And listen, Jesus died for you. He didn't have to because he loved you. That's your sign. 
That's the vision. That's all you're supposed to need. And the only reason you should love deeply. Here's what I think loving people should look like when it comes to reading the room. Loving people, I'll put it on the screen. And so reading the room is simply being aware and willing to set down something you cherish, your own pageantry, so that someone else can experience God's love in their own unique way. This is what loving people means. That you read the room you're in through this filter of love, knowing that your job is to love everybody, that you recognize and understand that you have a worldview, you have a culture, you have a space by which you worship God that may not be the only approach to worshiping God and that you're actually willing to recognize that pageantry for what it is and set it down so that someone else can experience God's love through you differently than how you experience God's love. That's why, and I've said it before, this is like the seedling of what church is supposed to be. This is one guy on stage, right, with a messed up life and a mean wife. (laughs) And stop checking on her, by the way. She told me in the back, everybody keeps checking on her. You know what she told him? I am a mean wife. That's what she told him. (laughs) And now you know, and now you know how to pray for me, okay? But I'm just up here on stage doing this thing. And if you think you just check off a list and get spiritually inoculated and now you're good to go, you're that guy showing up at the gym, watching somebody else teach a cross, you know, fit class going, I feel better already. You got to sweat yourself. You got to do a bunch of it yourself. But it means you have to recognize the job. And that job oftentimes is about reading the room. There are Tons of examples of Christ doing this and teaching us how to read the room while he was here on earth ministering to lost and lonely people. Tons. And by the way, they're the same exact people that we're ministering to right now. They're the same questions. They're the same concerns. Everything's the same. And Jesus shows up. And in this first story, I want to highlight his pageantry. You might think that's an interesting word to use. I'll I'll get into it and I'm going to show you. If you have a Bible, it's in Matthew chapter 14. This is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and we're just going to pull it apart and let it speak for itself. It says Jesus is traveling around. He's doing all kinds of things. And then he goes to a desolate place, verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening... The disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away, go into the villages and buy to buy food for themselves. The very first thing that jumps out at me about this passage is this idea that the disciples appear to notice and cite the problems of the community that have gathered around Jesus before Jesus does. Like Jesus knows the crowds are coming. He goes to a desolate place, a place with enough probably flat land and, and to, to minister and do whatever he's going to do that day. And the disciples see these people, which they say were around 5,000 men, plus probably the same amount of women, plus probably two or 3,000 children. So you're looking at 12, 13,000 people that showed up out in this pasture-like area. And there's nothing for them. There's no food. There's no provisions. And the disciples, as the core leadership of the church as it is, goes to God and says, hey, uh, there's a bunch of people that have showed up for you. And there's not a way for us to meet all these people's needs. So what we need to do is send them away, Lord. 
The church leadership gathers, goes before God and says, allow us to be the responsible leaders you've called us to be. Send them away, Lord. The church leadership goes and counsels amongst themselves and then goes to Jesus and says, allow us to manage well the movement that you've started. Let's send them away, Lord. The church leadership probably made a plan to talk to Jesus so that he would finally listen to their agenda. Allow us to do your work responsibly, God, of removing them from your presence. Send them away, Lord. Sound familiar? Yeah, we're still part of this church system where when the wrong people show up, we don't know what to do with them and so we send them away. I know, I know this email's coming, so I'm just gonna address it right now. Uh, I'm not picking on the church because I dislike her. I am picking on the church because she is the anointed presence of Christ to this world. She should know better and she should be better. And we're part of it. And by the way, if you send me an email, I'm just gonna forward it to Jesus because he clearly agrees with me. The very next verse says, <laughs> but Jesus said they need not go away. Hmm. They need not go away. And then he says to them, you give them something to eat. What an awkward pause that would be as the disciples just made their argument for why they should go away since there's not enough food. And then Jesus is like, no, you give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them to me. See, the church leadership, the disciples had enough food for themselves. They had enough provisions for themselves because they planned well. They're followers of Jesus and they planned for the day because sometimes Jesus goes to desolate places. And you know what happened? A whole bunch of people showed up who didn't plan as well as the church leadership. And so why would we give them our five loaves and two fishes? They should have planned better, Jesus. This is church strategy. Every day, all the time. We planned well. We made healthy choices. We did this. And then somebody shows up addicted. And then somebody shows up sad. And then somebody shows up with emotional health issues. And then somebody shows up with stuff that we've avoided because we made choices that were different. They should have made choices that were different too. And I'll tell you one thing. I don't have enough to share with them. I mean, I'm barely staying married to my mean wife as it is. <laughs> and so we're like, God, clearly send them away. And he says, no, you feed them. You love them. You meet with them. You accept them. You lead them. You teach them. You provide for them. What kind of feeling must that have been for the disciples? To have their posture changed, to have the room read differently by Jesus than they thought. At first, I would assume it would be confusing. Why are we doing this? We have five loaves and two fishes. We don't have enough. This is the thing about loving hard to be around needy, messy people. I just want to say this. You can write it down and hold it against me for years and years to come because I'm never going to change it. This is the thing about loving people different than you. It will always start out confusing and like you just don't have enough love to go around. And frankly, that's how you know you're doing it right. Because if you have enough love to go around, then that means you're picking and choosing who to love that, lo that responds just like you. And you get all the glory for that, by the way. My sister. She is so loving. She showed up and took me to lunch. Yeah, because you like lunches. And so does she. Great job. How about show up and do something that you don't normally love to do for somebody who won't post anything about it? 
let's invest in low-like opportunities and let Jesus do what he wants. That'd be a different kind of love. When we feel this way, we're supposed to do exactly what the disciples did. We're supposed to show up, shrug, probably pout, maybe kick some dirt, and follow through. Don't think for a second, by the way, that these boys were like, oh, okay, thanks, Jesus. Five loaves, two fishes, here we go. Guaranteed, that's not what happened. Guaranteed, they had a sub-meeting like, this is ridiculous. He does this to us all the time. This is the biggest crowd we ever had. We should offer, there's an opportunity here. We could really grab these people, but we need to send them back. We need to organize. And Jesus is like, nah, have them sit. We're gonna do something different. Verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 19, then that's what he did. He ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and take the five loaves and the two fishes. This is a significant thing that he did. And five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. You realize there's 13,000 people sitting down and 12 boys with baskets, all highlighted by Jesus, who's doing a simple prayer for the broken fish and healy crust that was given to probably Peter because he's the one that needed it the most. But could you imagine like thinking, this is my ministry career all stuffed in this basket right now. All these people know and all I got is literally a fish head and the heel. And Jesus prays and he sends them into the crowd. And you know people are like, there's 12 baskets up there. Which, by the way, they only had five loaves, two fishes. Where'd they get the 12 baskets? I've always wondered that. Like, who was the basket dude that just felt on his heart, I'm gonna bring me some baskets to this gathering out into a desolate place? Like, who's the basket boy and why do we never preach about him? Write it down, we'll do it. But the basket guy shows up. I wondered why. Like, they take the baskets, they have very little in the bottom, and you have to imagine, you gotta let text speak for itself. They show up to the first person. I, I just, I would love this. And they reach inside to this nasty fish head and this healy bread. And I like to imagine they pull out the most beautiful piece of fish and bread they've ever seen. And it's exactly the piece and fish and bread the person who pulled it out wants it. Because why would Jesus give him anything else? And all of a sudden the disciple's like, and the person's like, and the next person, and the next person. Then the second disciple's like, I wonder if mine will do that too. <laughs> After I was in it, after a while, I just, I know me, I know me. I'd be like, real quick, what's your favorite kind of bread, okay? Are you a heads or tail person? Tail, okay, let's see, let's see. Woo, right, I mean, I would have fun with it. That's me, that's me, I would have fun with it. So they go through the crowds and they have this beautiful representation of how God works, by the way, in his church, which is definitely using some leaders, but more important than that, every single person that reached into the basket got their own personal miracle. Every person got to experience it. It wasn't somebody on stage going, and this is what everybody gets. Every person had to reach into the same, one of the same 12 baskets and pull out this provision of God and look back at him as he made eye contact with as many as he could, right? By basically saying to them, I am God and this is what I do. It's a beautiful space. And yet every time it happens, we're surprised. And we're not supposed to be, but we are. And so may I say this, speaking from one human to another human, it's okay to be surprised by what God wants to do in your life. As a matter of fact, those of you who showed up at church today, barely wanting to be here, it's okay to be surprised that right now the Holy Spirit is doing stuff inside your heart that you just don't want him to do. That's okay. 
It reminds me of a video clip that went around just a little while ago. I'll play it for you. Listen careful, then I'm gonna play it again. This to me is sometimes what happens uh, also in the church, especially people who are starting to reawaken to like a faith that, that, that is more than what they thought it was. They know it's coming, but they're surprised anyways. This is a symphony. And uh, it's a very well-known symphony. It's, 100 and, or it's, it's 1910 is when it was written. So everybody in the audience knows this symphony, frontwards and backwards. And yet, listen carefully to what still happened. conductor's face. <laughs> so I'm going to play it for you again. I want you to listen very carefully when the beat drops at the woman who's like, ah! and she knows it's coming. Everybody knows it's coming. And she became famous for this and they actually called it now the scream, this particular part of the symphony. Watch it one more time. inside you're having an emotional ah! and you're so bothered because you're like you know God you know church you know Holy Spirit matter of fact that's your filter that's your worldview by the way when I talk about setting down your worldview in order to be a part of somebody else's even the church has a worldview that sometimes is warped by the church we grew up in or different things that happen but what I think is so profound and that we need to make more normal is sometimes God shows up and he drops a beat we know is coming and it awakens us anyways and it's beautiful, and it's all pageantry. As my younger daughter would say about this story, what's up with all the drama? Like, why would Jesus do it this way? The entire experience is filled with loving pageantry. You guys understand, right, inside these stories that when the disciples came to him, they could have been like, Jesus, this is a desolate place. These people don't have food, send them away. And he could have been like, now there's food in their bellies. They're all full. Or now they no longer need food. Or look at all these ancient food carts that showed up over the hill along with the basket guy who's like, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> what do I do with these 12 baskets? You know, that story, it ends with this incredible crescendo. Again, leaning into the pageantry. It says that they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And I think we know that 12 baskets represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's this whole idea that God is going to take care of his people. He's not going to just provide for them enough or more than enough. God loves us exactly more than enough. Exactly. He loves us 12 baskets full. He loves us to so much surplus that we even know the surplus is supposed to point to how much he loves us. This is all pageantry. This is not something God had to do, Jesus had to do. This is something he did to bring glory to himself. God has always used pageantry to bring glory to who he is. And you can see it first and foremost in creation. 
You can see it when you drive home and see a beautiful sunset or go to the ocean and its vastness. All of this could have been done differently, but instead it is all beautiful pageantry laid out before us to bring glory to him. Think about stuff like this. Like why paint a big cat like that? Like this is so, this is so what God does and it's pageantry or this. Or this, have you ever thought about, for those of us who snorkel or scuba, that that's a fairly new thing that, that you know, we were able to see clearly underwater and that for thousands and thousands of years, like the only person who enjoyed all the colors of the fish was like God. <laughs> like we've been able to see it for like 250 years or something and now we're like, wow, he made this all for us. And I'm like, mm. how about this? How beautiful is she? How ornately designed is she? See, God has been using pageantry since the beginning. And the most beautiful thing about his pageantry is that it is not what he came to proclaim. It was, as I've said earlier, his love. Because eventually another crowd would stand before him. Another crowd would scream, crucify, crucify. Another crowd would uh, set down everything it had picked up from him over the three years he ministered and instead decide to murder him. And in response, he will set down all of his pageantry. And instead, he will allow them to drag him up a hill and nail him to a cross. He could have used his same powers that filled those baskets to blink them all away, to change their minds, to turn invisible and escape or have the chains drop off or the whips not hurt, but he did none of that. He allowed his pageantry, the beauty of who he was and what he proclaimed to be torn away and he stepped into a messy room with angry people and he showed them who he was through being willing to set down something that was so important and beautiful to him. Once again, proclaiming, just like he did to the people with the baskets, I am God and this is what I do for you. Do you see, this is the way we as Christians are called to operate in the world. We are called to see who stands before us and then bring what is needed so that people around us can experience this love of Christ. But for that to happen, for it to really, really happen, as it should, we must, through love, read the rooms we are in. We must recognize the space that God has called us in. Every church service, small group, home life, prayer time, and Bible study are all places filled with beautiful pageantry offered before God. Every one of them. They're small cultures, they're small offerings that we present to him. But as Christians, these places can become what defines who we are instead of what we are willing to set down for God to reveal himself to someone in their own unique way. We all want to be at the basket miracle, but none of us want to be at the cross. And so many people are experiencing more burden-like lives, lives that more meet Jesus at the cross than they do in the desolate place filled with 12 baskets of too much. But we wanna stay in those places. We don't wanna to go to the cross because we get the cross. I mean, we'll go there on Good Friday. 
But then we're going to live the rest of the year in the freedom of the bread that he provides. And we're going to find joy in it. And we're going to invite people to that when they're still standing in the crowd going, I don't think your God's real or you're real. Crucify it all. And we're like, uh, when you're ready, come to my Bible study. It's only three hours long and we're only going to be in the Old Testament. I think you'll love it. <laughs> so many Old Testament people offended now. I'm like, I've never sent an email, but I'm going to now. That's fine. I'll forward it to Jesus. That's what I do with all your emails, by the way. You may say with great authenticity, these are my sacred places you're talking about, Danny. You're talking about my church service, my Bible study, my friend group that we don't let other people in. These are important to me. You're asking me to set those down. I am not asking you to do anything. I do think God's asking you to set some of it down and maybe open it up or dismantle it. Maybe deconstruct it a little bit so that other people who don't understand your basket weaving techniques could fit into your little group and love the same God that you do. This is all that I believe scripture does. It's say, look at this person who built a beautiful life that God dismantled to make a better person, not only him, but also more glory to God. And then a bunch of people are like, look at this person who built a beautiful life. I want to be like David. He has a heart after God. And I'm like, do you? Because he murdered somebody after he slept with his wife. But we don't present that part of David. We just love the New Testament version. Not the Old Testament version who lived in a cave for 10 years asking God, why am I here at all? There's a lot of people living in caves and it's our job to go spend time with them. But you've got to decide that you're going to set down, like Jesus did, your pageantry. Not forever, but for each individual as needed. Allow God to change your Bible study, your prayer time, or even your church service. You see, everything in this room is beautiful pageantry. The lights and the sound, the big symbols... It's all pageantry. As a member of God's creation, he has called me to be a part of this church thing, which I have tried to quit multiple times, by the way, because it is messy and not fun. And every time God continues to call me back, and every time I'm like, but this is how I'm built. I want to I design. I want to build experiences. I want to be the fullest person you want me to be, God. And, and I want to make sure that everybody in the room feels welcome and excited. And so I build what you see around you with a team of other like-minded people, and we present it. And week after week, we listen for joy and laughter and celebration as it's poured out before God. But I'm here to tell you right now, that does not mean this is the only way a room like this can be read. Not a chance. God isn't limited by me or my feeble attempts. Instead, I do this out of love because it's how I'm made. I just love baskets and bread and fish. I love that God's provided for me and my family and all of you exactly more than enough. But I think if we're not careful, we can worship even this. We can think that the church sits up here on this stage under these lights or sings up here and it's just simply not true. As a matter of fact, one way to read this room would be to turn off the pageantry. So let's do that. Turn up the house lights and open the windows and turn all this stuff on the stage off if you would please, including that big giant projector. You want to meet the church? 
She is right here. And when you realize that you're part of it and that you yourself have a mission that God wants, but that you yourself have to turn off the pageantry, you will end up in a room like this somewhere where you feel awkward and exposed like I do right now. This isn't just another element. This is me just turning off everything I possibly can to show you that even though the rooms may change, God doesn't. He doesn't change depending on the room and the pageantry. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful and I'll do it till the day I die. I wake up in the middle of the night with ideas that I feel are very clearly from the Holy Spirit. And I love it. And if it's not for everybody, that's fine. I don't have enough parking spots anyways. There's so many beautiful churches you can attend that, are, that fit your pageantry because they're all this way. So I'm not bothered when people are like, hey, the bass is a little too loud. I'm like, yeah, it is. Or the bass is a little too quiet if you're under about 25. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Send your emails, I'll forward them to Jesus. But what I think is most important is that we're willing to recognize it's not about the pageantry. And if you learn anything from the life of Christ, he set that all down and exposed who he was for this world. This is the church. This is what matters. It's not about these walls. It's not about the speaker or the singing or the stuff. It's about you all realizing you are called to be a part of this. It's about you realizing that God has never left you in spite of the people who have hurt you in his name. It's about you moving forward with him so that you can participate in the story of his kingdom for your life dismantled and rebuilt by him will be far more glorious for him and you than your own life sheltered from everything that's ever hurt you built in your own name that one day you offer back as a sacrifice at the end of your life when you go, oh shoot, I wish I would have done it different. Maybe this is your chance. Maybe you need to turn off all your pageantry. Stop pretending you're cooler than or hipper than or have more insight or let's be fair, more wounded than anyone else. That's also just another form of pageantry. What if you were just a human being standing before other human beings saying, I wanna do life with you. I wanna know you and I know you're gonna hurt me and I know I'm gonna hurt you, but I believe that God wants us to be in community and love one another anyways. That sort of church, every person in this neighborhood would come and be a part, everyone. But that sort of church is really hard because most of us want all the stuff and the pageantry. So that's the offer. The request is simple, that you realize that if you apply every single principle that we've taught inside this series, to the wrong room at the wrong time because you weren't willing to set down your pageantry, then you miss the point. How if you don't understand how to read the room through love, then you may bring something to the table that's not needed or worse, not bring something you should have. That's how we be the hands and feet of Jesus contextualized to this world. But it's all gonna start with this simple idea that when we reach the end of what we know, that's where we find God. And when we turn on the lights and expose our stuff, that's where God says, I got this. And he may pull some of your pageantry back in. I know he will mind. I'm not gonna do church like this every day, but I might. And God will use this room just like he uses this video online. It's crazy to me 
how many people are, are well, I don't know if you know this, we have twice as many people online right now than we do in person. And we're still trying to figure out how to minister to all of you and love you in these faraway places that you are. But I love that God's building it and that it's his. But my hope is that we can grab hold. But for us to do that, we have to set down what it is we thought we were gonna be and what it is we have determined churches and instead receive what it is God has for each of our stories perfectly more than enough. Amen? Will you stand with me? We'll close this service and this series. Heavenly Father, I know there's space created in this room. Will you stop the underscore? Now I know there's space created in this room. Lord, as we walk out of here, may it be something not filled with more of our own pageantry, but instead, God, filled with how we are made. May our lives find their purpose in who you are and how you have built us. May we, may we be willing to dismantle the things that have protected us, even from you, and love people that we know might hurt us. May we expand beyond these walls to be the hands and feet of the one who came and loved everyone. Thank you for receiving us in this place. Thank you for meeting us. We just lift this time, this week, this coming uh, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter season, all the people, God, that may enter these doors and every person here right now and every person watching, may you meet them right where they are. Thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys, for coming. We'll see you next week.